Beautiful job. Thank you. Well, our scripture reading today uh, comes from Matthew 5, beginning with verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but it is thrown out and it is trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. You're the light of the world, Gavin. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And no one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket. But on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kevin. You are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. You are... The ones we've been waiting on, you are the salt of the earth. And so it's really good to be with you all this morning. I mean, this is esteemed company that we all find ourselves in. Um, it seems crazy in some ways that Jesus could say that. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Surely it's supposed to be Jesus who is our light. Surely it is, it is Jesus who is the one who is, is useful for so many things like salt is. But yet there he says it. You are the salt of the earth. You are are the light of the world. And we all know the gaps that are in our lives, the ways that we have not been salt and light. But yet there, Jesus says it. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. If we want to understand what possibly he could be getting at, how Jesus could say something that seems so incongruous to our experience, we have to take a step back and remember where we are uh, in the gospel, where we are and what Matthew has told us so far. What we've heard so far in Matthew, and we've gone through this over the last few weeks, um, is this. Jesus has been born, and then his family has had to flee uh, as refugees to Egypt um, because of the threat of Herod killing him. So they've had to flee to Egypt. Who does that sound like? That's the story of the people of Israel, right, who have to flee or are in slavery in Egypt. And then they come out of Egypt, and Jesus and his family come back into uh come back to Israel, um, come back to their home. Um, and Jesus then goes and, as, when he is an adult, as he begins his ministry, he goes and is baptized in the River Jordan. He passes through the waters, just like the people of Israel, when they came back to their home, passed through the waters first of uh, the Red Sea, and then they pass through the waters as they enter into the Promised Land. So Jesus has lived out that story of Israel again. Then Jesus goes out into uh, the wilderness where he is tested for 40 days. And you heard about this a few weeks ago. And just like Israel is tested in the wilderness for 40 years, Jesus goes through this wilderness experience for 40 days. Again, he's doing the Israel thing. Right? He is experiencing in his life the story of his whole people. 
And now he comes to what we began to hear about last week. He goes up on this mountain and he begins to tell people what a relationship with God truly looks like. Again, he's doing the thing that Israel did because it was Moses who went up on the mountain received the law from God and brought it back to the people to say, this is the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you. And so what Jesus is doing here in this sermon series that we have just uh, begun, going through the Sermon on the Mount, is he is bringing the people a new kind of law. He's saying, this is what it looks like to be God's people. This is what God intends for you. And just like he had purposes and intentions for the people of Israel in the past, the people for whom, to whom Moses gave the law, this is what he now intends. This is, how, this is what it really looks like to live out the law. This is what it really looks like to be the people of God, the people of Israel. And so as he stands on this mountain and he delivers this sermon, and you heard about it last week in the Beatitudes, <coughs> All these counterintuitive things. That it's the meek who inherit the earth. That it's the... <coughs> pardon me. That it's the peacemakers who are blessed. That you are blessed when all kinds of people revile you. None of that seems to match up with our natural experience. And so to here, it seems that we are not very often the salt of the earth or the light of the world. But yet Jesus says we are. And I think we ought to take him seriously. So what I want to talk about today is the way in which, what Jesus means here. What does it mean for us to be salt? What does it mean for us to be light? And there are three things that I want you to remember. High school students who are in Buzzy Mize's uh, uh, Sunday school class, I know he's going to ask you what the sermon was about. And then I'm going to hear later your translation of my sermon. So write this down so I get a good version back of my sermon, right? <coughs> Pardon me. Um, what is Jesus after here? He's telling us something about our nature, our purpose, and our glory, and put a question mark outside of glory. Our nature, our purpose, and our glory, our question mark. So first, our nature. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. Notice it is not, you could be the salt of the earth. You could be the light of the world if you do certain things. If you work your way up, eventually you can achieve this spiritual goal. No, he says, you are to these people who have gathered around him, as odd as that may seem. He doesn't say, one day you could be. It is a statement that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And what Jesus is pointing to is something about who we are in our very nature, in who God has made us to be. Now, he'll go on to point that we don't always live that out. Right? But this is fundamentally who God has made us to be, salt of the earth and light of the world. And when Jesus uses these two images, he is drawing on more than just our sort of natural experiences of salt and light. He is drawing from a, a deep well of biblical imagery that for people who are well-versed in what we call the Old Testament, the, the Jewish people, they are going to hear this as he's saying these things. Let's kind of take it one at a time. You are... <coughs> Excuse me, you are the salt of the earth. The actual word used here for earth is, oh, bless you. Anyone who brings a cup of water to one of these little children of my name surely will not lose his reward. I should put some of the salt in and gargle and see how it goes. Awesome, thank you so much. 
You are the salt of the earth. Now, the word here that we translate as as earth, perfectly good uh, to translate it that way. Um, But the word can be translated a couple of other ways. And one of those is land. And that is, in fact, how it has been used previously in uh, in Matthew's gospel. Uh, Back in Matthew 2.21, it says this. And he arose and took the young child and his mother. This is talking about Joseph. And they came to the land of Israel, or the earth of Israel. It's just one word for them, all right? So it has this layer of, of meaning. Then at the beginning of Matthew 4, when Jesus begins his public ministry, um, it says that this light has shined on the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, or the earth of Zebulon and Naphtali. That's these, these two tribes of, of Israel that were, that were the first ones who were taken over by Assyria. So earth means land, and land means earth. It's referring not only to the whole earth, it can certainly mean that, but in particular, this word can have a reference to the land of Israel, the land that God had promised his people. And so this is first a sign, remember Jesus is preaching to a Jewish audience, is that you are the light, not just of the whole world, but you're the light of these people who are right around you. This promise that God has made that this land will be for his people, how is that going to be true? It's going to be true through you if you are the ones who are the salt, if you are are the ones who are taking care of it. You are the ones who are meant for this place to be God's people here. It has another meaning as well, and this goes back to to Genesis 2. Let's take a a way back, and if you have your Bible with with you, you can look in Genesis 2. And here's what it says. This is the account of God's creation of Adam. <coughs> and the day that the Lord God made the earth and heavens, when no plant of the field had yet, was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field was yet sprung up, the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground. But a stream would rise from the earth and, the wa- and water the whole face of the ground. All right, so at this point there is chaos, right? There's no plants or anything, and as you... Uh, I've probably seen before, if, if water hits dirt that doesn't have any vegetation on it, it just washes things away and it's a big mess. Then the Lord God formed from the dust of, formed man from the dust of the ground, or you could translate that, the dust of the earth, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what do we have? We start with chaos. It's a big muddy mess. Right? Water springs up from the ground, it goes over land with no vegetation, and it's just a sloppy, muddy mess. Then God takes dirt from the ground, dust from the ground, breathes into it the breath of life, and makes from dust a living being. And then what is Adam's job? God puts Adam in this garden that God plants, and Adam's job is to till the garden. It's to respond to the chaos of the world. God has taken mineral matter and has made it a blessing to the whole earth. He has made us out of nothing, out of dust, breathed into us the breath of life, and given us the job of taking care of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. When Jesus says that, it's it's calling back to these images of who we were created to be. Now, 
There is the possibility that we don't act like salt, that we lose our saltiness. And if that happens, can the saltiness be restored? Is Cleet in here by chance? If you find Cleet later, ask him, if salt loses its saltiness, how can its saltiness be restored? It can't. Right? It takes the creative act of God to give it that identity. We need God to make us who we are or remake us who we are when we have ceased to be the people that God has called us to be. Now, in the same way, when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he's calling again on a deep biblical image of what the people of Israel were supposed to be. Because just like Adam and human beings had this job of taking care of the earth that God had made, the point of the people of Israel was not just for their own benefit. The point of the people of Israel was so that they could be a light to the whole world, a blessing to the whole world. When God calls Abraham, he says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to give you all of these descendants and make your name great. And I will bless those who bless you. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Right? The point of the people of God from the very beginning is to bless the whole world. And then you get that talked about as the light of the world, Israel as the light of the world or the light of the nations. And you get that among other places in Isaiah 42. And I'll read that for you as well. This is a beautiful passage. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and earth and stretched them out, who spread the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and a spirit to those who walk in it, right? That's the Adam story that we just heard. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon and from the prison of those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and the new things I now declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. You are a light to the nations, people of Israel. This thing that God made Adam to do, it is yours to live that out. You are supposed to be the ones who show the world the glory of God through the way that you live. And so when Jesus then says to those people who've gathered around him on the mountain, you are the light of the world. You're the light to these nations. It's saying this thing that God has made you to be as a human being like Adam this person that God has made you to be as one of the people of Israel, right, who are supposed to be a light to the nations, this is your job. This is who you were made to be. But as with salt uh, and our failure to be the salt of the earth, we very often fail to be the light of the world. Sometimes we take the bushel basket and we put it over the light. And just like salt, when it loses, saltiness, it can't be restored. When you take the bushel basket and you put it over the light, what's going to happen after a little while when it sucks up all the oxygen? Or if you go with the old theory before we knew that the, the fire was burning up, the, you know, it was consuming the oxygen, people thought that fire gave off this substance called phlogiston and it saturated the air. That's not a sermon point, it's just a weird thing I learned in high school. Uh, what's going to happen? Now, this probably has enough holes in it where it's still going to be lit, but eventually the fire consumes the oxygen and the fire goes out. And how is it going to be lit again? It's going to take Gavin coming back up here with his light and lighting the candle again. All right. If the light is going to give up. Once a fire has been extinguished, it can't just come back on its own. It takes an act of God. 
And for salt to be restored, it takes an act of God. In the same way for us, in this gap between the way that we have actually lived and the way that God has called us to be, it takes an act of God in Jesus Christ to set us aright. But when that happens, and when we have put our faith in Christ, um, when we allow him to transform us, then we can again be the salt and the light that God has created us to be. That is our nature, to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world, to do the thing that God has created us to be as human beings, to do the thing that God has created us to be as his people, as the inheritors of the mission of Israel, right? that God has brought us in Jesus. So that's our nature. What about our purpose? Now we've hinted at this already. Our purpose is to bless the whole world like Adam did. Our purpose is to be a light to the world um, like Israel was supposed to be. But if you delve into these images of salt and light, you get, get more ways that, that this can work. Let's think about salt, all right? What is salt good for? What is its purpose? One, salt acts as a preservative. And back in the day before you, we had refrigeration, you needed salt to keep food from going bad. We are the salt of the earth. We're supposed to keep things going like Adam kept things going. We're supposed to care for the earth. We're supposed to care for other people. We're supposed to sustain the goodness of the world. We are to preserve like salt preserves. What else is salt good for? Um, have you ever had food uh, without salt? It's bad, right? Salt gives flavor. You are the salt of the earth. You're supposed to be the thing that brings out the goodness of others. I mean, that's the thing about salt, right? You're, you don't just taste its flavor on its own. Um, no one, like, just gets some salt and, you know, eats salt, right? Um, we put salt on food, and it brings out the flavors that are natural in the food. In the same way, if we are the salt of the earth, our role is to bring out the goodness of the world, the goodness of the world that God has created, um, to show the way that God is making things new. That is what it means for us to be the salt of the earth. What's the other thing? I'm going to need some of this water that you brought me again. So, after eating the salt. What's the other thing about salt? And that illustrates it. Um, you don't just clump all the salt together and take a, a lick of the salt, right? Um, salt is meant to be spread out, right? And we as Christians, it's not for us simply to huddle together. Now, these times where we, where we worship together and are sustained and nourished by God, those are absolutely essential for preserving us. Right? Salt is a preservative. But eventually, you want to spread that salt out, right? If it's going to, to do the thing that salt is supposed to do. In the same way, God has made us as salt to be sprinkled into the world, into our various jobs, into our various families, into the different ways of life that God has called us. And when we do that, then we can do the things that salt is supposed to do to preserve, to bring out flavor, and then to nourish us as well. You need salt to live. You are the salt of the earth. God has made you to, to bring out the goodness of the world in, the, in spreading out over, over the earth. That is what we've been called to do. To Christians, you are the salt of the earth. Go out there. Wherever you are, whatever walk of life God has put you in, you have holy work to do. That's our whole point. We can't just you know, have Christian life here on a Sunday morning right? or here in this building the Christian life is meant to be spread out over the earth so that it brings the goodness of God 
to whatever, to whatever and wherever God has called us. Same way, let's think about light. You are the light of the world. What does light do? Light in others enables other things to be seen. The point of light isn't usually to draw attention to itself. It's to, it's to draw attention to something else. And the thing about light is that a little can go a long way. Perhaps you have lived out this scene like I have. You have a child, and the child wakes up in the middle of the night, and they're on the other side of the house, and you have to go find them. And if you go in the dark, you will stumble and fall and bump your toe and step on a Lego, whatever. I don't know how people got along before this light that comes on your phone. This is a brilliant invention. I don't know what I did before this. Kid wakes up, you get up, you have to go tend to him. You flip the light on your phone, and a little bit of light shows you the way to go. It serves as a guide. It serves to keep you safe, to relieve you when you are blinded in the dark. This little bit of light shows you where to go. In the same way, we who are the light of the world, it tells us what our our job is. We are to help guide the world where it is supposed to go. We are supposed to, um, even that little bit of light, can, 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 can show the world what it means to experience God. Now, we, we have all kinds of ways that we think of as these big things where light needs to be shined into our world. Um, things like war and systematic poverty and racial division and violence, all of these things where we know that we need God's light in our lives. And, and the church very much has a role in, in shining God's light into those dark areas of the world. But each and every day when you wake up and you get up to whatever God has called you to do that day, there are places of darkness that you will encounter. People who live with blinders on, people who are um, going through tragedies that you may or may not know about, people who are Um, walking around in the midst of of sorrow and depression, people who are living in the midst of, of, of sin that they perhaps they have brought on themselves. It is your job as the light of the world when you go about your daily life and you encounter people, you meet with people, you are the light of the world. And it is in those small acts of bringing light that we can we can begin to experience and begin to show God's glory in the world where we've been called. That is our purpose, to be salt, to preserve, to nourish, to give flavor, to bring out goodness, to be light, to bring relief, to bring, um, uh, to bring a guide to the way to go. That is what we were meant to do and be, right? our nature and our purpose. And then there's the question of our glory, our glory, question mark. When people hear, you are the light of the world, that can easily become twisted into thinking that, well, I'm the best thing ever, right? Um, but that's not what Jesus is after. He's not saying that you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth, you're, you are just great, right? And it's all about you. No, what is the purpose of being salt and light? So that others may see, God's gl- may, may see your good works and give glory to God. That's the, that's the next part of that passage. The point isn't to lift up ourselves. The point is to give glory to God through what we do. Now, let me, let me give you a counterexample to illustrate this. Has, has any, any of y'all seen Moana yet? If you haven't seen it, just roll with me for a minute, all right? Uh, in, in Moana, the new Disney movie, um, one of the sort of the first villains that Moana and Maui encounter is Tamatoa, right? He's a giant crab who lives in a shell under the sea, 
that uh, is sort of this land of, of beasts and demons and that kind of thing. And so Tamatoa's down there, he's this giant crab, and he didn't like being ugly like crabs are, and so he's begun to collect all of these shiny objects and he puts them on his shell, right? Uh, and he has this song that my girls love to sing now, Shiny, right? And he sings about how shiny he is and uh, how, how great he is. He's going to beat these, you know, he's going to beat Maui and he's going to beat Moana, right? Um, and he becomes, in his obsession with himself and shiny things and his own attractiveness, he becomes turned in on himself and he is lonely and isolated and he becomes violent, right? That's what happens when we make things all about ourselves, we turn in on ourselves and we become a twisted version of the salt and the light that we were supposed to be, of the Adam and of the Israel that we were supposed to be. No, let your light shine before others. Let your salt be in the earth so that people may see God's, uh, may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And the way that works so often is through simple, easy, not easy necessarily, but simple things in your life, consistent, small faithfulness over time. Um, so often we think we have to do this big thing for God, but when, what God has called us to is faithfulness where we are as the salt and the light. I'll tell you a very simple story to illustrate this. When I was early in college, I you know, showed up, went to college, was a youth group kid, I knew I should go to church, right? Went to Starville first for a couple of times and then just sort of fell off. It's easy to, you know, sleep late on Sunday mornings and easy to get busy. I went to Wesley Foundation a couple of times. Uh, but, you know, then I got busy. I had classes to do. I had clubs I was in. I just had other stuff that was going on. So it just fell to the wayside. And so I was a very intermittent uh, practicing Christian. I mean, I believe, but I didn't, I didn't, wasn't going to church a whole lot as much as I should. Certainly wasn't doing like Wesley Foundation and things like that at State until about my junior year. Um, and I had a roommate who was a, you know, had been consistent. Uh, a guy named John Box had been in the Wesley uh, since the since the beginning, it's been very consistent there, and we roomed together. Knew him from ROTC, and he just said, "Hey, let's go, let's go to Wesley." And I was like, oh, "I'm kind of busy," but then I go, and I keep going, and I keep going. And now John didn't say anything amazing to like convert me or anything like that. Um, I'd already already believed in Jesus. I just wasn't practicing those things that I, I should have been doing. But by his small act of faithfulness and his example of saying this is important and this should be a priority in your life it began again to be a priority in mine. Maybe that's your situation. You are being called to be faithful and consistent, a light to the world, uh, a salt, the salt of the earth, so that other people can see God's glory. It's not for your own benefit, but it's because it's who God has made you to be. It's the purpose that God has given you. And it's the glory that you experience, right? It's not your glory, but it's the glory of God within you for the benefit of the world. That is what God has called us to. And so brothers and sisters, I hope that, it, that this week, that is how you will live. It is how you will go forth. And God indeed has, has given us this community and this meal in which we are about to to partake as something to sustain us in that life. As we come to this communion table, we are going to a place where we find light, right? The, the grapes that were grown to make the juice and the, and the wheat that was grown to make the bread had light shine on them. And it is this sign of the glory of God that shines into, the, into this food that we eat and this this juice that we drink, and then in to us. This bread doesn't rise without salt. And in the same way, that, that 
The world does not rise to be as it should unless we are the salt of the earth. And so this meal is to nourish us. As we pray here in a minute, we're going to pray um, that uh, we're going to pray that God would make us the body of Christ for the world. You may be for the world, the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. This is to make us into the salt and the light that we are meant to be. And so the invitation this morning is to anyone who wishes to be salt and light, the salt of the earth, the light of the world that God has made us to be. You are welcome to come to this meal. If you have confessed of your sins, as we did a while ago, if you want to cast your life on God, whether or not you are a Methodist or you belong to this church, you belong at this table because this is the table where God makes you new, remakes you into salt, remakes you into light. And so we invite you to join in this meal. Brothers and sisters, let's pray together. We're going to pray this prayer. It's called the Great Thanksgiving uh, over this meal that we are about to eat together. Brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Almighty Father, creator of heaven and earth. Father, you formed us in your image. You took the dust of the earth, you breathed into it the breath of life, and you made us who we are, people who were meant to be a blessing to the world. And Lord, when, when we turned away in Adam, you called your people Israel, you made them a light to the nations, and you called us to be your people again. And Lord, when we turned away, you sent your son Christ to make us new. And so, Father, with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and we join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. Your spirit anointed him to preach good news to us who are poor. You anointed him and he told us, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light on the, of the world. He, he preached to us and he called us to be your people. And then, by the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread. He gave thanks to you. He broke the bread. He gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then when the supper was over, he took the cup he gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant that's been poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. 
Christ Christ will will come come again. again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. And now with the confidence that we are God's children, let us pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Because there is one loaf risen with salt, nourished by light, we who are one body partake of the one loaf. The bread over which we give thanks, thanks is a sharing in the body of Christ. And the cup which we share is a sharing in the blood of Christ. As we uh, begin to come to to this table, uh, let me invite those who will help me serve. Come on up um, and receive first.